Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We, we finished 1 Thessalonians and Paul was encouraging those new believers and reminding them of the second coming of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians was written very soon after 1 Thessalonians, but the persecution for Christians had been ramped up. And they're having difficulty. And last week, we looked at verses uh, 7 through 11, or 6, 7, and 11 through 11, that talked about the fact that your day's coming. You hang in there. Your day's coming because we're going to home be to the Lord. And those who are persecuting Christians, their day's coming unless they come to Jesus. It showed the second coming of Jesus and the things that were going to happen to them. And then in verses 11 and 12, because of the difficulty they were having, you find Paul praying for them. Look what he says in verse 11. Therefore, and that, that means, what, what did he say before that? The Lord's coming, you hang in there. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy or make you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. One day God was looking down on earth. He saw all of the misbehaving that was going on in the world. He decided to send an angel down to the earth to check it out. Folks, this isn't in the Bible, okay, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> and when the angel returned, he told God, yeah, it's bad on earth. 95% of the people on earth are misbehaving. There's 5% that are not misbehaving. And God thought for a moment, well, maybe I need to send down another angel and get a second opinion. So he called another angel, sent him down to the earth, and the angel came back and said, yeah. 95% of the world is misbehaving and 5% are being good. God wasn't pleased, so he decided to send an email to the 5% that were good because he wanted to encourage them and give them a little something to help keep them going. Do you know what that email said? Neither did I, I didn't get one either. <laughs> There was a young minister who was about to be ordained and he stated in his life that at one time he was nearly an infidel. He said, but there was one argument in favor of Christianity that I could never refute. And he said, it was the consistent conduct of my dad who was a Christian. In this second letter of Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, Paul writes about the final victory that Jesus is going to give us in the verses right prior to, chapter, to verse 11, and he breaks out in prayer for them. Have you ever thought about how long a prayer list Paul had? Because he's praying for every church that he's ever writing. He's praying for all the people, all of his friends. But one of the most basic 
truths we can gather from this great prayer is that we can pray for one another. And Paul concludes this, the first letter in Thessalonians by saying praying without ceasing. We've, we've already looked at that in the fifth chapter of First Thessalonians, to pray continually. And here he says, I'm praying for you continually. We need to pray for one another. I'm always encouraged when I hear people say, well, I prayed for you this week. And I know that you're encouraged when people say we're praying for you and we're praying that God would help. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our nation. And when spiritual awakening comes, it's going to be the result of a revival of prayer as people ask God to intervene. Did you know you can't pray too much? In 1 Samuel 12, the prophet Samuel was giving his farewell address to the Israelites, and he said this, 1 Samuel 12, 23, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. You never think about it, sin against the, how could I sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you? And prayer is such an invaluable discipline that Paul said, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing, which doesn't mean that you walk around with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Don't do that. You're going to run into something or you're going to drive like that. You're going to crash into something. But it means to have this preoccupation with God. You can talk to him anytime. And every time you see something going on in your life, you're thinking about God and you're, how does God fit into this? And Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And what do you want me to say to this person? How do you want me to react? It's a continual conversation or continual awareness that you can talk to God anytime. And why is that so important? I'm going to get the filling in the blanks here in a minute. Just hang in there. Well, prayer is important because it refocuses our perspective. It, without prayer, we only see the visible. But when you're in a, in a mindset of keeping up with the Lord, you know that this isn't all there is, and we have the invisible. We have God who's with us. We can't see him. We, we walk by faith, but we're not just preoccupied with what we see all the time. Well, prayer also quiets our fears, calms our nerves. We come to prayer in a fearful and anxious situation and we give our worries to the Lord and Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, and the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer transfers our burdens. He just sang about that. Take it to the Lord. Matthew 25, excuse me, Matthew 11, 28, and 29, the Lord said, come to me, all of you who are burdened and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Somebody ought to write a hymn about that. <laughs> and prayer also upholds other people in need. It's a, it's a way that we help bear one another's burdens. It's one thing we can do for someone else. It's an interesting experiment they did. James Wagoner in his book, Ministry of Christ in the Church Today, tells of a prayer research project that was done by a cardiologist Dr. Rick, or Dr. Randy Bird. And in this experiment, the patients did not even know they were part of an experiment. Because what he did, he assigned 393 heart patients, each who had been admitted to the coronary unit during a 10-month period. And he assigned them to two groups. 
He located persons around the country who would agree to pray once a day for each of 192 of this 393 people. And each patient in this group had from five to seven people praying for him or her, but they were not told they were being prayed for. The second group of 201 patients didn't have individuals from Dr. Bird's prayer groups praying for them. And Dr. Bird found that the people that were prayed for, the patients prayed for, had significantly fewer instances of complications. Only three required antibiotics compared to 16 in the other group. Prayer really works. And Paul was very specific in his prayers. He didn't just write, I'm praying for you. He gives some specifics here that I believe he's praying for them to be consistent in their daily walk with the Lord because the world is giving them difficulty. The world is persecuting them. It'd be so easy for them to flounder and he's praying for them to be consistent. So I've called this a prayer for consistency. So let's look at the elements of this prayer. First of all, consistent Christians exemplify God's plan. He said, I'm praying continually for you. I'm, I'm praying without ceasing for you in verse 11 for this, that our God would count you worthy of his calling. The word count, if you're using an NIV translation, says make you worthy. Are any of us worthy of the calling of God? No, we don't even come close. God didn't call us because we are worthy. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Colossians 1.12 says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. None of us are worthy to be saved. So God makes us worthy by saving us. In other words, once we've heard God's call, he changes us. He sees potential in us. I believe you have the opportunity to reject that call of salvation that he gives you, but when you were saved, you knew you needed to be saved. I, I, I try to explain it by the Lord knocking on your heart's door or that urgency you feel, that calling, and, and, and God calls us, but we're still not worthy to be saved, but he saves us and makes us worthy enough to be in his kingdom only through Jesus Christ. It's like we're running in a race and we don't cross the finish line until Jesus returns or until we die. And Paul expressed this idea of a race when he wrote these words. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.13. Paul didn't say these 50 things I do. He said this one thing I do. I forget the past 
and I press toward the finish line. And I keep pressing until I get there. He's not earning his way. He's already been made worthy to be saved. He's been saved, but he keeps following the call of the Lord. God's calling you in different ways. Now, the first call you receive is the call of salvation. In fact, the Lord said, no one comes to the Father except the Lord bid him come. He reconciles that with our own Ability to make a choice to say yes or no. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time. Begin. And then chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 14 says, To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are different calls. There's the call to salvation. I've already mentioned that. I remember the night I gave my life to Christ. I don't remember everything I said, but I do know the Lord was convicting me of my sin and convincing me I needed to be saved. We call the end of the service or the end of the worship time the invitation. Well, there's a reason God's inviting people to come to know him to give their life to him. John 6, Jesus said, no person can come. It's the Father draws him to come. We pray for people. God, please draw them to you. And I believe he draws a lot of people who say no. There's also the call to surrender. When you, when you give your life to Christ, he's saying, take up your cross and follow me. That means we die to our own desires and say, Lord, I submit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I'll follow you no matter where you want me to go. What do you want me to do with my life? We daily surrender the control of our lives to him. But there's also the call to serve. God's third call is to service. He doesn't want you... He didn't save you so you could punch your ticket into heaven. He saved you to serve him in some capacity. He gives all of us spiritual gifts. And a gift is given to you. You don't earn it. You don't ask for it. It's given to you. And it's amazing the spiritual gifts that work together in the body of Christ. I am so thrilled at all the things that happen in this congregation. And you see people's gifts being used. Some of you have different gifts than others. And aren't you glad that we're not all one gift? Your body wouldn't function if it was all one part. What if you were just one big ear? I mean, think about it. I mean, you've got ears and a nose, and you've got organs that you can't see. You've got all kinds. You've got hands and feet. All of the, 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 the body of Christ is, is compared to that, a body. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, you, you can't brag. Well, if you're not the hand, you're not good enough. You don't tell the ear or whatever. I've got it all mixed up. But the fact is, you don't tell part of the body that you're more important than them. Because it all functions together. So listen to what God's calling you to do. It may not be something that's seen by everybody. 
but you follow what the Lord wants you to do. He also speaks of a con- consistent Christians that I say embody God's power. Look at verse 11 again. And that you might fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. You know, you've heard people use the term random acts of kindness. Well, Christians don't live that way. Christians do continual acts of faith and following and serving the Lord. Now, that may be some kindness, but we are living in his power and we, the work of faith with power. It says God's given you power. There's lots of different kinds of power. I heard about a guy who bought a new Corvette. And he took a friend for a ride to show off how much power it had. And so he pulled up to a red light and he taped a $100 bill on the dash. And he told, me, he, he told him, he said, now when I take off, if you can grab that $100 bill in the first five seconds, you can have it. And when the light turned green, he stomped the gas and the passenger was pinned to the seat and couldn't reach it. Now that's a powerful car. I don't suggest you try that. (laughs) Or consider the power of a Boeing 747-8. Taking off, it weighs almost a million pounds. That's almost as heavy as me. 985,000 pounds. Just short of 500 tons. Now, how in the world does that thing fly? Well, it has four GE engines that produce 67,000 pounds of thrust. And it lifts off the runway at 180 knots and it climbs out at 350 knots all the way to the cruising altitude of over 30,000 feet. That's power. Who do you consider the most powerful man in the world, or at least in our nation? The president is the commander-in-chief of the most powerful military force, or it is right now. That's another kind of power. But did you know all the power in the universe, of all the power, there is none that compares with the power of God. First Chronicles. 2911, King David prayed, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Nothing can compare to the power of God. He alone has the power to speak the universe into existence from nothing. He alone has the power to make a superhighway in the middle of the Red Sea. He alone has the power to knock down the walls of Jericho. He alone has the power to help a teenager kill a giant. He alone has the power to change water into wine, to heal a leper, to make a blind man see. He alone has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. He has the power to change a sinner into a saint. 
He qualifies us, makes us worthy. But you know what? God didn't give you that power for nothing. He he empowers us to live the Christian life. Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. And Paul prayed this specific prayer. He said, my prayer is that God's power would bring you to fruition for every good work. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and for his good pleasure. God's given you power. Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the personality of God. And he's put that in us to change us, to grow us, to make, him more like, make us more like him. How, would you, how do you demonstrate those personality traits in Galatians 5.20? You don't just work up and say, well, I'm going to be joyful today, or I'm going to be kind, even if it kills me. No, you allow the Holy Spirit to live through you. You surrender to him, and God gives you the power. In fact, he said in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To be consistent, to embody God's power. Why are you so different now? Have you ever thought about where you'd be if you didn't know Jesus? You see, it's not religion that changes you. It's the power of Jesus in your life that changes you. God puts his spirit, I've I've told you this a hundred times, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their spirit died immediately. Then their mind, emotions, and will, their soul died progressively. They got worse and worse. And ultimately, they died in their body. And when you give your life to Christ and you surrender your life, God puts his spirit in you. You have a spirit. You have the capacity to know God. And God's spirit in you begins to change your thinking, your mind, emotions, and will. And one of these days we get the new body to go with it. I love the the account of a little boy who was walking down the beach. He saw an older woman, an older woman, sitting under a beach umbrella. He didn't know her. But he walked up to her and he said, Ma'am, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. He said, do you read your Bible every day? She nodded, yes. Do you say your prayers every day? Again, she said, yes. And then he asked his final question. Will you hold my dollar while I go swimming? (laughs) Now, that's the way it ought to be. We exemplify God's plan. We embody God's power, but also consistent Christians exalt God's person. Look at verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. The word glory, doxa, doxology. We get our word doxa, D-O-X-A. It means to 
shined, shining. Think of glory as to shine the spotlight on something. So when we give God glory, we're shining the spotlight on him instead of ourselves. When we sing to God be the glory, and we all, we're singing all kinds of songs about giving God the glory, it means to shine the spotlight on him. Is it possible for a Christian to live in such a way to bring glory to God? The answer is yes. What does it mean to bring glory to Christ? We use that expression a lot, but perhaps it's misunderstood. You know, the scriptures tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalm 19.1. In other words, we see the creation, we see God's handiwork, we see intelligent design, or whatever you want to call it, God made it, and, and you can't help but look even how we're fearfully and wonderfully made and realize, you can't help but realize God's done all of this. It couldn't have just happened. But the heavens are manifesting the glory of God in the sense that they reveal what God is and what he can do, but the heavens are not designed to reveal the love of God or designed to show the grace of God or the righteousness of God. That's where we come into the picture. Creation shows what God can do. Christians show who God is and what he's done in our own life. Ephesians 2, 7 says we're designed to show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ. Now, if we're going to manifest the glory of God, we've got to become an illustration of what the power of God and the grace of God can do. And our daily life and our testimony can be an example of that. The result is that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And the additional thought there is in you and him. It's stated that when we're in Christ, which means we have this wonderful position we've been given, that Christ is glorified and and we're glorified in him. Now, we don't want the spotlight on us, but the fact is we are God's trophies. We are the ones who've been saved by his grace and we've been made new. We're examples of his grace. The Bible describes how we're to reflect the glory of Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Now that phrase, unveiled face, This is in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Paul is referring to an experience that Moses had when he came off of Mount Sinai. Y'all remember the account in Exodus chapter 34. But when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he wanted to see God. And God said, you can't handle seeing me. If you were to look upon me, you would die because of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God and his glory. But God allowed him to kind of get a glimpse when he passed by. And what happened? When he came down off of Mount Sinai, his face was glowing. Now, I want you to think for a moment, if you were the, in the children of Israel, and all of you've been waiting on Moses to come down, and you see this glowing face, Moses coming down. Well, the scripture tells us 
that after they saw his face, and some of them were afraid, but after they saw his face, that Moses put a veil over his face so that it just wouldn't freak out everybody. But we're also told that he kept the veil on long after the glory faded away. Now, why would you do that? Probably because he didn't want people to lose confidence in him. Now, have you ever thought about if you could sell masks that made you look spiritual? <laughs> Seriously. I remember back when I my youth minister days when we were doing youth musicals, and there was a, a musical that we did one year called The, the New Covenant. And if I can remember some of that, I'm going to give you a, it, it talked about Moses and somebody, the narrator said something like, have you ever thought about, you know, he talked about how Moses kept the veil on long after the, the glory had faded away. And he said, have you ever thought about if people could sell masks that made people look like spiritual giant, they'd make a killing. And the title of the song was Evangelical Veil Productions. Pick one up, quite a reduction. Got all kinds of shapes and sizes. Introductory bonus prizes. Special quality, one way see through. You can see them, but they can't see you. Never have to show your face again. And then when the guy would go, just released a Moses model. Came with a shine in a plastic bottle. Makes you look like you've just seen the Lord. Just one daily application, and you'll fool the congregation. Guaranteed to last the whole week. <laughs> See if I can remember the second verse. This has been a long time ago. I'm, I'm impressing myself here. <laughs> Got a back from a summer camp veil. With a mountaintop look, it'll never fail, long as you renew it every year. Plus, a special Jesus freak file. Everyone comes with a permanent smile, a one-way button, and a sticker for your car. Isn't it amazing how we put on a mask in front of everybody? That's not the way we're supposed to live. In fact, he said, you want to exalt the name of Jesus that he may be glorified in you and you in him. It doesn't mean you're going to bring the spotlight on yourself. One of the reasons, church, is that God is using this church like he is is because we give the glory to him. And he gets the glory. People ask me every now and then, what are y'all doing over at Southcrest? I say, God is blessing and we're trying not to mess it up or to get in the way. We keep pointing people to him. There's a professor at a Christian college who always finished his New Testament class with this illustration. He would reach into his back pocket, pull out his wallet, and from his wallet, he pulled out a tiny little mirror, no larger than a quarter. And the edges of the mirror were honed down smoothly and it sparkled. And he said, when I was a child, my father gave me this mirror as a toy and I discovered that it had great power. 
I could use it to catch the glint of the sun and shine it into a dark hole or a dark corner. And as I grew older, I realized this was a metaphor of my life. God called me to be a light in this world, but I'm not the source of the light. I'm simply a little mirror. But when I allow his light to shine on me, I can bring light into the darkness. That's who we are. We just reflect the one who's changed our life. We don't reflect ourselves. We don't brag on ourselves. We give the glory to God. Some of you golfers in here, do you know when golf really became instrumental or really became, I guess would say, was discovered in America, I think was at the turn of the 20th, the early 1900s. And the story's told that golf was first introduced to the United States when a Scotchman visited President Ulysses S. Grant. Some of y'all were here then, right? (laughs) Well, the Scotchman wasn't very good. And he teed up a golf ball on the White House lawn, and he took a mighty swing at the ball and did just like me, missed it, tearing up the grass, and he scattered dirt all over the president's face and beard. Well, he took another swing and missed, and he flailed away four more times without making contact with the ball. And finally, the Scotchman paused to catch his breath, and President Grant said, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of people flailing away aimlessly in their life with no, no real purpose, but... They go from one activity to another searching for meaning by the latest gadgets, the smartphones, hoping that it will satisfy that itch. But God says we are being transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. God wants to continually transform us to be more like Christ that he may get the glory. You did not change yourself. You did not save yourself. You do not keep yourself saved. God does all of that. You don't even hold on to God. He holds on to you. Which brings me to the last example. Consistent Christians exhibit God's provision. Look at verse 12. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his letters, Paul circles a lot through a lot of different doctrines, but he always, always comes back to grace. It's all about grace. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve. Along with God's grace is God's mercy, withholding what we do deserve. We deserve hell, but we get heaven. That's grace. We deserve death, but we get life. That's grace. The twin sister of grace is mercy, and mercy is God withholding the punishment we deserve. It's an old, old story. But I heard about a lady who had some portraits taken by a photographer. She wasn't very attractive, but she thought she was. When she got the proofs, she didn't like any of them. 
And she told the photographer, these pictures don't do me justice. Photographer said, ma'am, you don't need justice, you need mercy. (laughs) You and I don't need justice. We deserve it, but we need mercy. We need God's grace. Aren't you grateful that you know Jesus? Think of the people in the world who have not responded to God's mercy and grace and the peace that they don't have in their life and the emptiness that you see them trying to grasp in every area, trying to hold on, trying to find some peace, trying to find some fulfillment and purpose. And the days are getting more and more difficult. And there may be more and more persecution for believers. In fact, we've got people who don't think too much of Christians. We need to pray for one another that we would remain consistent. I'm not perfect. I'm still a work in progress just like you. But I want to see God consistently growing me. I don't want to stay stagnant. Lord, keep working in my life. I want you to be glorified. You've given me the power to live the Christian life. You've, you've, you're helping me grow. I want you to receive the glory for anything that's done. And I'm going to bask and continue to dwell in your grace through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about him. Let me share a couple of things with you. Did you know last Sunday, while our service was going on, we had people online watching us from the UK, from Ireland, from India, from Japan, and Germany that we know of. We got emails from different people. I got an airmail letter. I mean, the old-fashioned airmail letter Monday from a lady in Northern Ireland who said, everything here is completely shut down. Our churches are not meeting. And so Southcrest has been a blessing. And one of the ladies in the UK says, I even try to sing with your marvelous choir and orchestra. Only God could orchestrate things like that. And I'm just so thankful to be part of a church where God's working in so many ways and we help other little churches and we help all. As long as we keep lifting up Jesus and keep pointing people to him, he keeps bringing people here. Before I close, um, I I, I will tell you something else. You know, I, I mentioned to you about the building we're buying that was voted on last Wednesday night. I just mentioned it Sunday. $55,000 $55,000 came in for it Sunday, just like that. And so people are, people are getting into that. And I'm just asking you to pray about what God wants you to be a part of, because I believe God's going to provide it for us by July 1st, the down payment we need. And, and, you know, I, and I can share with you all the other details if you missed all of that. But God has opened this up for our school and for rooms that our church can use. We're going, our goal is on the first Sunday of May, and this is our goal 
is on that afternoon have an open house for you to go over and look at it. Because I want to tell you, until you go look at it, you cannot understand what God is allowing us to get here. To help with our school and, to, and even with some fellowships and things if we want to use the building. And so um, I'm just, I just know that you people are amazing people. I'm glad I get to be part of it too. If you um, heard about our men's retreat, Jeff Struker was our speaker. Um, highly decorated because of his valor in the Black Hawk Down incident back in the early 90s during the Clinton administration in Mogadishu. Um, this is his life story. And we bought about, I think, 30. How many would we buy, Danny? Or is Danny in here? Uh, we bought some of these. We have them. And, and we paid $15 a piece for them. And guess what? We're going to sell them for $15 to you. That's the kind of business we do around here. Uh, they've all been signed. If you'd like to have one, it has a signature in there. But the reason, he's got such a compelling um, testimony that I think you'll find it very fascinating, especially, it's, it's just an absolute miracle. He's even alive. But I thought if you'd like to have it, the, the title of the book is called The Road to Unafraid. And um, you can contact the member care office, which is Danny's office. It's not out here. or he may I don't know. We'll get them to you if you want to know. But check with Danny and Danny Henderson by that way, by that means. We had a lot of people here last Sunday. And um, looking forward to being with you again this Sunday. Let me close this in prayer. And if, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you after we're dismissed. So I'll hang around here for a few minutes, and I'd love, to, I'd love to meet you if I've not done so. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be people who are lights in the darkness. We're consistent in our walk with you. And we know that you've given us your power, your spirit that lives in us. Help us to be faithful, God. Show us the areas that we need to surrender even more to you. And help us to be strong. But most of all, to always, always be quick to point people to you for all that you've done in our life. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these amazing people. And God, thank you for my family here. We look forward to Sunday, Lord. We, we, we get excited not knowing how you're going to work. And, and even last week, people were saved. They'll be baptized this Sunday. So, God, we just ask that you continually do that every week. Keep bringing people whose lives need to be changed. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this respite in the middle of the week for these wonderful people. Again, we lift up these that are so, so sick. And those who are grieving, those who are facing difficulty even now, we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. And it's in, for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.